you have your Bible with you today, and I hope you do, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, where, in perfect timing for the beginning of this new year, I'd like to say I planned it this way, but I didn't. We're beginning a new major development in our study of Christianity 101 from the book of 1 Peter. See, we're going back to the basics as a faith family, and we're wanting to know and to rediscover afresh what essential Christianity really is. Not exceptional Christianity, but essential Christianity. What it looks like for you and for me to live in this world for the glory of God as elect exiles, as those who have been chosen by God for salvation, and therefore, because of that new work that God has done on our behalf, being increasingly rejected by the world in which we live. I want to say this as often and as clearly as possible. The essential Christian life is not merely a life It is not merely a life that we live. It is a life that is lived in us. What makes genuine Christianity essentially different from the rest of the world and the the rest of religions is not simply a different set of morals or a different set of authorities. No, what makes us different is a different sort of life. Namely, the life of God in the soul of a man, to borrow a Puritan's words. See, Christianity doesn't begin with man getting religion. No, true biblical Christianity begins with God invading our darkened souls with His transforming power, presence, and life. It all begins with the miracle of the new birth, of being born again, as Peter says in verse 3 of chapter 1 of this letter, of being pushed by God's mercy and power into a brand new sphere of spiritual understanding, affection, and life. And this is something that God does to us. It is not something that we do ourselves. God takes us out of our state of spiritual darkness and death, and in Christ Jesus, He makes us spiritually alive. He makes us into a new creation, Scripture talks about. And He imparts to us a new mind, a new will, and a new emotions that are responsive at last towards Him. He causes us to be born again. And the rest of our Christian life is simply living out that new reality. It is a reflex and a response to our new life and identity in Christ Jesus. That's essential Christianity. That is Christianity 101. It's learning how to act in light of who we are. How to act as elect exiles in light of our relationship with God. How to act as elect exiles in light of our relationship with other believers. How to act as elect exiles in relationship to ourself and then... Finally, how to act as elect exiles in terms of our relationship with the unsaved world. And that last point is really at the heart of the rest of Peter's letter. How to respond to this world as those who have been chosen by God. Because you see, it's really that last relationship, our relationship with the unsaved world, that really explains why we're still here on earth as elect exiles and not immediately transported into heaven. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but it's because we still have a vital and important relationship with this world that you and I have to carry out. Think about it. What we ought to do in our relationship with God, we are going to do when we get to heaven, and so much better. What we ought to do in our relationship with other believers, we are going to do when we get to heaven, and we're going to do it so much better. What we ought to do in our relationship with ourselves, we will be able to do when we get to heaven. We will do it, and better. But listen, what we ought to do 
in terms of our relationship with the unsaved world, namely tell them of Jesus, we will not be able to do once we get to heaven. When we get to heaven, you and I will not be able to point our unsaved family members and unsaved friends to Jesus Christ anymore. We will not be able to proclaim His saving excellencies to a world that needs to hear it anymore. Once we get to heaven, that relationship, that opportunity will be over forever. And so do you want to know why we're still here in this world? Do you want to know why we're still pilgrims and exiles? Do you want to know why Peter dedicates nearly the entire second half of his letter solely to evangelism and living rightly before the eyes of this world? It's because that is why we're still here. So that those who are yet lost and wandering in their sins may, as verse 12 says, see our good works, ask us for a reason for the hope that is in us, and then, through faith in Christ Jesus, be made ready to glorify God on the day of visitation. We are here You and I are here. Grace Chapel is here. We exist as a body here together now to point to Jesus and to proclaim His excellencies. So the question before us then as joint pilgrims and elect exiles is how? How do we most effectively reach our lost family members, friends, neighbors, and co-workers with the good news of Jesus Christ? We know that we ought to reach them. We know God has put us specifically in their lives for a reason. The question is how? How do we reach them with the gospel most effectively? Well, that area, in that area, the American church has almost no consensus at all whatsoever. You ask 50 different different Christians, what is the most effective way to reach the lost? And you'll probably get 50 different answers. In fact, most Christians would probably say that the Bible is almost completely silent on the subject. And therefore, it's really up to us to figure out what the most effective way to reach the lost for Christ is. And so when trying to figure out how to reach the lost, we're told by many people, don't look at the Bible, that won't help you that much. Instead, look at businesses, right? You'll hear. How do they push products off their shelves? How do they sell their materials? How do they gain followers? What's their process? And if it works for them, then surely it'll work for us. Why do people have that opinion? In fact, even ask this question, why do people have opinions at all when it comes to techniques in evangelism? It's because they think that the Bible is either silent or at best incomplete when it comes to the issue of how to most effectively win the lost for Christ. At first glance, I understand that it might appear to be so. For example, think of Matthew 28, 19-20, the most famous passage about evangelism. Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Here we are this morning. We're fulfilling the last half of that verse. We're teaching baptized believers to observe everything that Christ has commanded them. But what about the first half of that commission? Go and make disciples of all nations, or literally in the Greek, as you're going, make disciples. We're to be doing that too, but that passage doesn't tell us how. So how do we make disciples as we go about our everyday lives, as we're going, right? How do we most effectively engage in everyday evangelism? Peter gives us the answer in the passage set before us this morning. But before I tell you what it is, I want you to think for a moment what you would expect Peter's evangelistic technique to be, all right? 
So this is Peter that we're thinking about. Think of all the stories that we know of him in Scripture. He's the rough, talkative, in-your-face, swinging-a-sword-at-your-ear type of guy. Okay? And if evangelistic techniques are what American Christianity teaches us that they are, individualized and left up to our own opinions and our own experiences, I would expect Peter's approach to evangelism to be quite abrupt, bombastic, in your face, grab the guy by the shirt collar and force a Roman's robe pamphlet down their throat type of approach. But you know, Peter's evangelistic technique wasn't determined by his own opinions, by his own personality, or by his own experiences. Peter's evangelistic technique was determined by the Holy Spirit. And you know how we know that? Because Peter's technique in engaging in everyday evangelism is the exact opposite of what you would expect out of him. In summary, this is what Peter says from verse 11 of chapter 2 on into chapter 3. The most effective technique for everyday evangelism is this. Live such a stunningly courageous life of goodness, humility, and righteousness before others yourself so that they are compelled to ask you for a reason for the hope that is in you and you are ready to give them the word of Christ. The answer, Jesus. That's shocking. I mean, when's the last time you've heard that as an evangelistic technique? I know when I was first studying this passage, I thought to myself, really? <laughs> That's evangelism? That can't be right. That's way too hands-off. That's not bold enough. That's not direct enough. That's not courageous enough. Evangelism has to be something purely that we do, not something that we are. And yet that's exactly what the Word of God says. Evangelism, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, the message of Christ to others, is a natural consequence. Listen to this. It is a natural consequence of a properly devoted and faithfully obedient Christian life. Evangelism, brothers and sisters, is not separate from who we are. It is part and parcel of essential Christianity and it is a natural byproduct of who we are. If we're saved, if we're born again, then we will be talking to the lost around us about Jesus and of His saving excellencies. This is so critical for you and I to grasp. You see, we're so used to making evangelism something completely separate from us, aren't we? Right? Here we are with all of our relationships and then over there, way over there is evangelism, right? And in our minds, we can be living over here with all of our relationships, totally fine, totally devoted, totally faithful to God, and evangelism over there, well, that's for the real serious folks, right? The really gifted believers, the people who can maybe preach or teach. Maybe I'll add evangelism to my life later. Maybe I'll introduce evangelism to my relationships later. I should really get around to that. But in the meantime, here I am with all of my relationships, and I'm totally fine, totally devoted, totally faithful, even though evangelism has nothing to do with that, and everything's fine. We tell ourselves these stories. My relationship with my kids is really good. Though I'm so ashamed of the gospel, I never share it with them. My relationship with my grandkids are really good, but I'm so ashamed of the gospel, I never share it with them. But that's fine. I'm totally faithful, totally devoted, totally good over here, and evangelism can be an add-on I might consider in the future. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a lie. 
That is a lie. I'm sorry to wake you up in terms of Scripture that way, but that is a lie. If you have a relationship with someone who is unsaved and you are retreating from gospel witness there, you are not faithfully devoted to Christ in that relationship. If we're truly living rightly, if we're truly, as Paul says later, honoring Christ the Lord as holy in our hearts, then evangelism will become the natural outflow of your life and the natural practice of your relationships with the unsaved. That's what Peter's going to teach. All evangelism begins by us living a life of such stunning submission to Jesus that it underlines our gospel message that we're sharing, not undermines it. As we'll see from Peter's writing, evangelism is not something lofty and high that only a few select extroverted Christians are expected to participate in. (laughs) No, it is something that every single one of us are, and it is something that every single one of us will naturally do in our relationships if we're truly living how we ought to live in submission to Jesus Christ. And so, what we're going to be doing as a faith family over the next couple of months is to take a course in Evangelism 101 from the Apostle Peter. This morning and the next couple of weeks is going to serve as an introduction to that evangelism course. An introduction to Evangelism 101 where Peter introduces us to the basics of everyday evangelism, the ingredients of everyday evangelism. And what we'll see is that it all centers, surprisingly, around a believer living a life of stunning submissiveness. Believe it or not, this is the secret to effective everyday evangelism. Be stunningly submissive. So with that in mind, let's read 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. We'll only, by the way, be looking at the first six words of the first verse. So, Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these words to us. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 13. Be subject to... For the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. This is the word of God who looks on our affliction and delivers us who do not forget his law. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Father, we pray that you would perform open-heart surgery on us this morning by your word. 
Pray that you would encourage us where we need to be encouraged. Convict us where we need to be convicted. Embolden us where we need to be courageous. And Father, I pray that as your people, you would shape us by your almighty word into people who live for your glory and our use for the salvation of the lost. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you recall, back in verse 12 of 1 Peter chapter 2, God instructed us as followers of Christ to keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, he writes, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. In other words, the key to effectively pointing others to Jesus Christ is keeping our conduct among the Gentiles, Peter says, honorable. That is, in the Greek, excellent, attractive, or beautiful. By living lives that underline the gospel message, not undermine it. You say, okay, so what is that redemptive action that is so attractive? That that honorable conduct that God uses to grab the attention of the lost? And the answer is submissiveness. Submissiveness. Nothing strikes an unbeliever as more odd and intriguing than a life of stunning submissiveness. Now this is what sets us apart. This is what grabs their attention. This is what convicts their soul. And this is what God uses to draw them to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a life of stunning submissiveness. And so here in his introduction to evangelism, Peter examines this topic. What does stunning, biblical stunning submissiveness look like? And he carefully lays out point by point, six points in total, of what this stunning submissiveness looks like. We're going to just look at the first two points this morning, found here at the beginning of verse 13. And I want to say before I dive in, before we get started, I want to encourage you with the words of James chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. James 1, 19 through 20 says this, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And I would encourage all of us along those lines over the next few weeks as we go through this passage We're going to be touching on some very delicate issues over the next few weeks, and I simply ask you to be patient as I teach through this introduction to the end of verse 17. I am not going to be able to address every question or every exception during every message, and as I was thinking about it, that's okay. Sometimes we need to sit a week or two under the weight of the simple statements of God's Word before we have our questions or concerns addressed. Sometimes it's good to feel that weight of God's Word in a certain area until it's balanced out later. And so I want to encourage you on the basis of James chapter 1, be patient, and I think, at least this is what I'm striving hard to, I think you will find most of your questions and concerns addressed and answered by the time we come to the end of verse 17. If not, you can come and talk to me afterwards and I'll try to clear it up then. So, Evangelism 101, be stunningly submissive. Peter begins by giving the command of submission in verse 13. He says, be subject. 
be subject. That is hupotasso in the Greek. It's a command that literally means to put yourself into a mindset of submission. The default mindset of a believer is one of subjection. It ought to be. This is the main verb of Peter's passage, therefore it's going to be the main focus of our message this morning. Be subject. Place yourself under authority in an orderly fashion. In fact, hupotasso is a military term that means to draw up an order for battle beneath the authority of your commander. So picture it for a moment this morning. You're in the military. You're, uh, and the lead commander says, we have a mission, army, right? Line up. And as a soldier, what do you do? You find your place, you find your company of soldiers, you find your lower commanding officer, and you put yourself in the place of submission in order to carry out that mission properly with the rest of your fellow soldiers. You submit yourself and you put yourself into a mindset of submission. To do anything else would be an absolute disaster, right? Can you imagine a soldier deciding to do his own thing And to carry out the mission of the head commander all by himself without listening to any of the instructions of any of his lesser authorities. With the two armies lined up for battle, this soldier suddenly decides, you know what, I'm going to move out from under my lesser authorities and I'm going to try to accomplish the head commander's orders all on my own by doing my own thing and running out of the battlefield alone and ignoring my officer's calls. In that moment, that soldier is probably thinking to himself, I am so loyal, what's wrong with these apathetic soldiers? Right? Right? He thinks he's loyal because he's fighting for his commander and his general. His general thinks he's a fool because he's not listening to his authorities, the very authorities that the commander had put over him. What's going to happen to that soldier? You don't have to think very long. That soldier is going to get gunned down on the spot as an absolute disgrace to his commander. And if he doesn't and somehow miraculously survives his impertinence, That foolish soldier is going to be taken out of combat for a while until he can learn to carry out the mission of the commander properly alongside his fellow fellow soldiers in submission to his authorities until he can learn to be subject. This is the picture Peter wants all of us to have in our heads when it comes, interestingly enough, to evangelizing the lost. As Christians, we have a commander... Jesus Christ. He has given us a mission, the Great Commission, to preach the gospel and to reach the lost. And so our commander tells us here you have your mission. Men, all right, women, you have your mission. Now line up, be subject. And so, as one of his soldiers, you need to find your place and you need to put yourself into a place of submission there in order to carry out Christ's mission properly with the rest of your fellow soldiers. You need to be subject. To do anything else would be an absolute disaster, right? Again, taking the same idea. Imagine a Christian deciding to do his own thing and carry out evangelism, ministry, and a God-glorifying life all by himself without listening to the instructions of any other authority in his life. How successful do you think that Christian is going to be? Not successful at all. Imagine a Christian suddenly decide that he's going to move out from under his authorities and go do his own thing, running out on the battlefield alone, ignoring his officer's calls, doing evangelism and ministry and life the way he judges best. He thinks he's loyal because he's fighting for Christ. Christ thinks he's a fool because he's not listening to his authorities, the very authorities that Christ gave him to listen to in order to carry out the mission alongside his fellow soldiers. 
What's going to happen? That Christian is going to disgrace his Lord and Savior by his conduct until he learns to carry out Christ's submission properly alongside other believers in submission to his authorities. And so if we want to be effective in our everyday evangelism, we must learn to be submissive to authority. Now, think with me for a moment. Why would Peter have to tell us to be subject? Why would he have to tell us to be submissive? I mean, I look, at, I look at my own heart, and I see such a submissive heart, don't you? Right? The obvious answer is because we as Christians might be tempted to not be subject. That's why he tells us to be subject, right? To not have a submissive mindset and an attitude towards those that are over us. And I think there are two reasons why we as Christians might be tempted to not be subject to the authorities Christ has put into our lives. The first reason, I think, is because of our unredeemed past, Right? When Christ redeemed us, we need to remember who we once were. Christ redeemed us out of an insubordinate, self-assertive, rebellious past. That's who we used to be. A past where we spurned authority and we did whatever we wanted to do regardless of what any authority ever told us. And if we're not careful, we can be tempted to return to that very same sin of rebellion that Christ by his own blood sought to cleanse us from. Peter says later in 2 Peter 2, verse 10, that one of the signs of a false teacher and an unredeemed soul is that they despise authority. In other words, those who do not know Christ disregard and treat with contempt the authorities that Christ has established. Jude 8 likewise states that unredeemed false teachers reject authority. In other words, they put themselves into positions of teaching and influence by ignoring and by rejecting the authorities that Christ has put in place. That's why they're described in 1 Timothy 6, verse 4, as divisive, dissentious, and producing constant friction among people. It's because they're not subject, they're not submissive, they're not saved. Why? Because if you're truly in Christ, then you are a person that understands what it means to be under authority. You're literally calling Christ what? Lord. So listen despising and rejecting authority, creating division and dissension and friction among people because of one's disregard and rebellion against authority, those are traits of the unredeemed and should not belong to the redeemed. To put it another way, having a proud, independent, self-assertive, and contrary spirit is not a virtue. Sorry. It's a vice. It's a characteristic of an unredeemed life that has been untouched by God. So to put it quite simply, doing whatever we want, regardless of what authority tells us to do, and wanting to live life our own way, that's a sin. And it's a sin that because of our past, we're still very comfortable doing. (laughs) And if we're not careful, we can return to that same rebellious spirit and attitude. So I think that's one reason why Peter says to us as Christians, be subject It's because we're tempted to not be submissive because of our unredeemed past. I think another reason why we're tempted to not be subject is not only because of our unredeemed past, but ironically enough, because of our redeemed present. Our redeemed present. Think about it. Peter has just described to us in verses 9 through 12 that we are God's people. We are people of God's own possession, right? We are people who are strangers and exiles in this world. In other words, Peter has just taught us that we as believers have a new identity in Jesus, and that new identity is this. We belong to God ultimately and not to this world. Could that be a temptation and indeed even an excuse to disregard earthly authorities? You betcha. I only have one king. His name is Jesus. I am not paying taxes. Right? Right? 
I'm a citizen of heaven. That law rubs me wrong. I'm not going to obey it. I'm a priest of God. I don't have to listen to any spiritual leadership. Though it's never quite stated as bluntly as I just put it. (laughs) As a pastor of 11 years, if you listen closely enough, you hear these arguments all the time from Christians. Because of who I am in Christ, I don't need to listen to you. You're not over me. Oh, I'm submissive to my authorities. It's just my authority isn't you or you or you. Oh, wow, the only authorities are the ones that agree with me. Yeah, those are the ones I submit to. Listen, that is the exact opposite of what Peter is calling on us as believers to do here. Peter says, because of who you are in Christ, put yourself under. Whereas this type of thinking I just described says, no, because of who I am in Christ, I put myself over. It's the exact opposite approach of what the Spirit is calling for here in verse 13. So, we might be tempted to fall into a spirit of disregarding and despising and rejecting authority because of our unredeemed past as well as our redeemed present. It's for this reason that Peter says if you want to reach the lost for Christ, then you have to set yourself apart. And one of the ways that you're going to do that, one of the major ways you're going to do that is by exhibiting a life of stunning submissiveness. Put yourself in order. Put yourself in order so that as Christ's followers, we can carry out Christ's great commission together. It all begins by being subject, being submissive. Now, that command, that's the command of submission, be subject. Now, let's see the motive of submission. That's it. the next section of verse 13 where Peter says, Be subject, why? For the Lord's sake. This is the motivation behind the command. We should be subject for the Lord's sake. And this is going to be a very, very, very important truth for us to remember and hold on to and to take to heart. If we're going to be able to live out the life of stunning submissiveness that wins the loss to Christ and that captures their attention, we're going to need to remember this motive, especially when it gets very, very difficult. We're all doing this for the Lord's sake. We as Christians have a Lord. And therefore, we strive to submit to the authorities that our Lord has given us for the Lord's sake. And Peter's communicating three things by that phrase, for the Lord's sake. He's saying we must have a mindset of submissive submission first out of respect for the Lord. Or veneration for the Lord, right? Out of respect for the Lord. Our default mindset as believers ought to be one of submission to authority. Because Christ demands it. And so we obey him out of respect for his lordship. As Romans 13, 1 says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Why? For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. We are to submit to our earthly authorities for this simple reason. They are ordained by God. And often to obey them will be a matter of obedience to God. To disregard and to disobey the authorities that God has sovereignly put into your life is almost always to disregard and to disobey God himself. And this is a truth, by the way, that ought to have been drilled into us from the earliest of days. This shouldn't be a new principle I'm teaching you this morning, in other words. Have you ever studied Ephesians 6, verse 1? If you're a kid, you've probably heard it quite a bit, right? Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Why? For this is right. Right? It doesn't matter how unfair you think your parents are. As long as your parents aren't forbidding something that God commands, or commanding something that God forbids, what do you call your kids to do? You call them to obey. For in submitting to the parents that God has given you, you are submitting to God himself. 
this is what we teach our kids, or at least this is what we ought to be teaching them, because this is how they're going to have to live the rest of their lives for the glory of Christ, in subjection for the Lord's sake. Listen, Peter's making the exact same argument here in verse 13 and throughout chapters 2 and 3. Only this time it makes us uncomfortable, not our kids, right? (laughs) Peter's going to teach, doesn't matter how unfair you might think your government is, your boss is, your husband is, your church leaders are. As long as they aren't commanding what God forbids or forbidding what God commands, you are to have a mindset of submission towards them. You're to be striving towards subjection towards them. For in submitting to the government, to the boss, to the husband, and to the elders that God has given you, you are submitting to God himself. All of this is exactly what we teach our children, and probably a lot of you are realizing right now that you often expect way more out of your kids in terms of their relationship to authority than you expect out of yourself. The point is, it doesn't matter what earthly authority we're talking about, whether it be parents, husbands, elders, employers, or government. Christ's command is always the same. As long as they're not commanding what God forbids or forbidding what God commands, and there's more nuances there, and I'll get to them in future weeks, we're to strive towards living out a stunning submissiveness towards those who are over us. It's to be our default mindset. Our default mindset. For in submitting to the earthly authorities God has given, we are submitting to God himself. So we are to submit out of respect for the Lord. Second, we are to submit out of reputation for the Lord. Reputation for the Lord. Peter says in 1 Peter 3.22 that Jesus Christ, this is important, Jesus Christ has gone into heaven and is right now at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers, having been, listen to this, subjected to him. Subjected to him. That's the exact same word. In other words, we as Christians are to characteristically be subject to all earthly authority because we know that all earthly authority has been subjected to Christ. And so when we submit to authority, even unfair authority at times, we are declaring something that we believe to be true about Jesus. Namely, that he is Lord over all. Over all. 99 times out of 100, we declare that Jesus is Lord, not by rebelling against the authority as he has sovereignly ordained, but by submitting to them. It is by submitting to our authority that we actually demonstrate that Jesus rules over our parents, right? It is by submitting to our authority that we actually demonstrate that Jesus is over our husbands. It's by submitting to authority that we actually demonstrate that Jesus is over our pastors and over our bosses and over our government. It's not by characteristically rebelling. It is by characteristically submitting that we are declaring to a lost world that there is a Jesus who rules above this chaos. That he is Lord of all. And so we submit out of respect for the Lord. We submit out of reputation for the Lord. And finally, we must maintain a mindset of submission out of imitation of the Lord. Think about it for a moment this morning. If you're wondering, does this really have to be my default mindset? (laughs) If you're struggling with that, I want you to think, has there ever been a greater victim under unjust authority than Jesus Christ himself? He was maligned, mistreated, and ultimately murdered by corrupt government, by Jewish and Roman authorities. And yet, how did Jesus live? Characteristically, in subjection. He lived under their unjust and unrighteous rule his entire life. And he never attacked the Romans 
or the rulers or those in authority over him. He never led a march against Rome's abuses or a demonstration against the sins of the Jewish leaders, though he did call them on the carpet several times. He never even protested when they broke every single law of justice in his own trial. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter without protest. As Peter says later in verse 23 of this chapter, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. In other words, he kept on submitting as to the Lord. And then Peter says, walk in his footsteps. So this must be our motivation that we cling to out of veneration, reputation, and imitation of the Lord. I will submit for the Lord's sake. My parents don't deserve my subjection. Sorry. We're sorry. We're fallen. We're sinners, right? My pastors don't deserve my subjection, right? My employer doesn't deserve my subjection. My government (laughs) rulers definitely don't deserve my subjection. But Christ does. And somehow in the providence of God, He's established these authorities over me for the flourishing of my life. And characteristically, I I ought to have a mindset, a default mindset of subjection to them. Out of veneration, reputation, and imitation of the Lord, I will submit for the Lord's sake. So this is the command of submission. Be subject. This is the motive of submission. For the Lord's sake. We'll have to look at our first example of submission starting next week. But for now, this is where, this is where true, real life, everyday evangelism really begins. It begins in our own hearts. It begins by living lives that underline the gospel message, not undermine it. It begins by a life marked characteristically by stunning submissiveness to authority. If we're to win the loss for Christ, we must be marked by a courageous spirit of stunning submissiveness to the Lord first and foremost, and then to every authority He has instituted as unto the Lord. We must be subject for the glory and the honor and the exaltation of Jesus Christ above all. And so in conclusion, here's some homework for you to work on during this next week. I want you to think through and write down. Here it is. Here's the homework. I want you to think through and write down this week what authorities God has currently put in your life. Okay? So what authorities has God currently put in your life? Let me give you some suggestions to make this easy, right? Are you a child that's living with your parents or benefiting from their support? Are you a student studying under a teacher? Are you a wife married to a husband? Are you a church member serving with elders? Are you an employee working for an employer? Are you a citizen living under a government? I know the answer to that one is yes. Write down all the different authorities God has put into your life and then ask yourself this following question. Am I exhibiting a life of stunning submissiveness towards this authority? Towards this authority? Towards this authority? 
Or have I been letting the creeping attitude of an unredeemed life back into my life towards those Christ has put over me? Am I exhibiting a life of stunning submissiveness as to the Lord? The lost, they're watching us. Christ is watching us. So let's make sure our lives underline the gospel message we strive to declare, not undermine it. If Christ is Lord over all, then I can and I should be subject to the authorities He has put over me. To do anything else would be an absolute disaster. We have our mission. So let's find our place this week. Let's put ourselves into a mindset of submission in order to carry out Christ's saving orders properly. Be subject for the Lord's sake. We'll have to look at the rest of the verse next week. But I think that's enough. <laughs> for now, this is the Word of God from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, which I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience in the fervent care of one another until our Lord returns. To that end, as the men come forward for communion this morning, let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for Jesus. As we studied Colossians, I thank you, Father, for how we learned that he is the preeminent one, the one who rules over all, the one who is to be preeminent in our obedience and in our affection and in our faithfulness. Father, I thank you that your word gives us a full picture of what that looks like, that sometimes following Jesus means that we will obey God rather than man. But we understand for the most part, to submit to Jesus will mean to have a mindset of submission even towards these fallen authorities you've put into our lives. Fathers, the rest of the world walks in rebellion. As the rest of the world walks in contempt of you and of the authorities that you have put in place in society. Help us as Christians to be marked by a people who love our Savior and who love the structures that give order to our society. Because we understand those have been put in place by you. Help us to be people with a mindset of subjection. And help us to be praying for those who are over us even as we seek to be subject to them. Father, help us to do this all, not for our own sake, so that we would expect to get something good back, but that we would do it for the Lord's sake. That everything that we do, whether it be in subjection or in questioning of our authority, would be under the banner of Christ as Lord. Give us grace to do this, so that the lost world would see in us a marked, difference of reverence and of respect. Thank you for Christ's Lordship this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.